Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. <laughs> you are now listening to the Half a Bird Sports Show. Welcome to the Half a Bird Sports Show. You could have been doing anything else in the world, but you chose to ride with us, and we appreciate that. It's solo weekend, so I will take the wheel myself to navigate you through the sports landscape of the hottest topics, late-breaking news, things that make no sense, and a few things that might surprise you. As always, you can catch us on WMQG Radio Tuesdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern. So today, I will discuss the NFL has a new villain. People liked him when he was brand new. Look who made it to training camp. Melvin Gordon, it's so very good to see you. Cam Newton on his way out. Not many quarterbacks right now would really like to be you. Frozen five, two winning weeks in a row for the half a bird crew. And Ballas is the goal the NFL would definitely like to pursue. And it's good to be in today, half a bird sports show. Um, as you all know, if you've been keeping up with things, I've been out the past two shows. Uh, Jay was correct. I was being chased by a bounty hunter on uh, Monday and was unable to record, but lucky for me, they forgot how fast your boy can be, so I got away. So it's good to be here with you today. We got a lot to get into. We're going to talk a little uh, Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. We're going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. We got your Heisman watch uh, for college football, the Frozen Five NFL picks, a star running back reports to his team today. And there is an NFL player who I think this team uh, should trade as soon as possible. But we're going to start with uh, Baker Mayfield. Obviously, he has become somehow, some way, the most hated quarterback in the NFL. I mean, how fast people go from being the new kid on the block, from being the hero, from being the player that everybody is excited about, to being the villain, in a sense, overnight or over the course of one offseason. So, as you know, the Cleveland Browns starting out this year have not been doing very well at all. They have a 1-2 and two record. Uh, they played Monday, I'm sorry, Sunday night against the Los Angeles Rams, lost 20 to 13. They didn't look good. They looked slow. They looked small. The offensive line wasn't very good. Baker Mayfield was missing passes. The play calling was bad. It was just a pretty poor showing as you contrast it with the offseason hype for this team. So they go up against the Baltimore Ravens, really the surprise team in the NFL, not just that division. Uh, they go up against them this Sunday in what's going to be a tough game. And I'll actually get to that as one of my Frozen Five picks. But one of the things that has surprised me, especially given that Baker Mayfield set rookie records, set the rookie record for touchdown passes last season with 27, how much hated he has been this year. There are people coming after him left and right, and I think that is for a specific reason. So, for instance, you have such inflammatory criticism of Baker Mayfield as what you heard from ESPN analyst and former NFL player Marcus Spears earlier in this week, who said that Daniel Jones, the quarterback for the New York Giants with one start in the regular season under his belt, is better than Baker Mayfield. 
Um, you have Rex Ryan, also of ESPN, former coach, who said that Baker Mayfield was overrated as hell. I believe he said this on first take, either on Monday or Tuesday. And obviously, one of his most outspoken critics, even going back to last season, was Colin Cowherd of Fox Sports, who has essentially described him off and on as immature, not very good, etc. But he's got people coming after him, Baker Mayfield, left and right because of in a sense, how poorly the Cleveland Browns have played. So this shows you that not only does he rub players the wrong way, um, he rubs analysts the wrong way. He's, in a sense, rubbed everybody the wrong way. And what they've been waiting for is this opportunity, this opportunity for the Cleveland Browns to not play well, to come out slow in order to, in a sense, exact revenge on Baker Mayfield because they dislike him, because now he's vulnerable. It's easy to pick on him and his team and his coach, Freddie Kitchens. So that's a big part of what you're seeing. You're seeing these people who didn't like him last year and really couldn't say much about him because he was having a very good rookie season, and he led a team who had zero wins the previous season to seven wins and you know, kind of approaching the street of making the playoffs or at least being expected to make the playoffs this season. So now that they're down, they're coming after him left and right. And, you know, I don't think I've ever seen analysts and other coaches and players come after a guy like this. I mean, and it's pretty obvious why that is also because, you know, when you think of Baker Mayfield, doesn't he remind you of Tom Cruise in Top Gun? Uh, You millennials will have no idea uh, what I'm talking about. It's a movie that came out, I think, in the late 80s. Um, so I'm kind of dating myself by even bringing it up. It's a Tom Cruise movie, one of his most famous movies uh, in his career. So Tom Cruise plays this, this guy, this, you know, this crazed pilot called Maverick, who, you know, is young, cocky, cool, talented, good looking. And that's a lot like Baker Mayfield. You know, he possesses those characteristics, especially when you talk about being cocky and outspoken. And that type of personality is fun, is interesting and engaging. But it's one of those types of personalities that can create enemies. And that's exactly what he's done just by the nature of who he is and the types of things that he says in the media. Like when people take shots in him, he takes shots right back at them through the media, as he did this week with Rex Ryan, in a sense, uh, criticizing Rex Ryan for his coaching record as to say that his opinion doesn't matter about him. But one of the things that I see going on with Baker in terms of explaining why this team on offense at least hasn't played as well as we know that they probably should and as we expect is you know it's beyond the play calling the play calling from Freddie Kitchens has not been very good especially on that fourth and nine draw late in the game that he called against the Rams which even he himself after the game had to say was a terrible call they have had a shaky O-line Part of the reason why is because they traded one of their best offensive linemen to the Giants. It was either in the Olivier Vernon trade or the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. But I think part of what's plaguing Baker Mayfield, because he's been accurate his entire career. He's been a good quarterback his entire career. But I see him playing with a lot of hatred in his heart. Hatred that is fueling him to try to stick it to the critics to get back at them, to prove to them that he is an elite quarterback. And this reminds me, you know, speaking of Cleveland, of LeBron James. Uh, We'll all remember his first season as a member of the Miami Heat where they lost in the finals to the Dallas Mavericks, and LeBron just wasn't himself. He didn't look like himself. He was, you know, susceptible to the defense of the Mavericks, and there were parts of that series where he just quit. He just didn't have it. He never looked like that, and he has never looked like that since. As a matter of fact, after that, he went to a straight final. So 
The year after that, he goes to the finals. Obviously, he beats my Oklahoma City Thunder, a very heartbreaking loss for me. And after that, he was sitting down for an interview. I can't remember for with who, but he said that in the season and in the finals against the Mavericks, he played with a lot of hatred in his heart because for the first time, he would go into opposing arenas and he would be booed. He would be hated. He was the villain. And he had created so much hate in him that he wanted to give back at all those people. And he realized he couldn't win that way, that that made him emotionally unbalanced and that affected his play on the court. So I see the exact same thing happening with Baker Mayfield. He's not playing for himself. He's not playing for his teammates and for his organization. He's playing for the critics as in to get back at them. And he can't play that way. He has never played that way. Obviously, he's walked around with a chip on his shoulder because he has been overlooked. But that's different from the type of criticism that he's taken in the media, on Twitter, that he pays way too much attention to and that he allows him to make him into someone with hatred in his heart. And he's got to realize that he can't win that way, that he cannot pay attention to that, that if he needs to, he needs to stay off social media and just focus on what he's doing and proving something only to himself and not everyone else. So until he can do that, this Cleveland Browns team is not going to reach the potential that they can. So hopefully he figures that out sooner rather than later because they have some pretty exciting players on that team. When you talk about Nick Chubb, OBJ, Jarvis Landry, and obviously Baker Mayfield. But the hatred will only consume him. It will not help him to consume his critics. All right, so every other week we do this on my solo show, uh, the Heisman Watch. I'm going to give you who I feel are the top three Heisman candidates. And for those of you who are new to this segment that I do every other week, I do this uh, in an effort to predict who are going to be the three college football players to make it to New York for the Heisman ceremony. And I rank them according to who I feel like has the edge in the Heisman voting as it stands today. So this is this week's Heisman Watch. Up first, uh, and I always start with the honorable mention before I go into the top three. So this week's honorable mention is Jonathan Taylor, running back for Wisconsin, uh, coming off of a very incredibly impressive game against the Michigan Wolverines where he essentially beat them single-handedly. He had 23 carries, 203 yards, and two touchdowns in this game for a total of seven touchdowns in three games. Some analysts are calling him the best running back prospect to come out of college since Ezekiel Elliott came out of Ohio State. So he has definitely got the attention of the nation with a signature win against Michigan. He looks unstoppable at times, so he's going to come in as this week's honorable mention. Number three, we have two attack of Iowa, quarterback for Alabama. Um, He's played four games. He's got 1,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, zero picks, and he's second in QBR. So he's having a phenomenal season. But the problem with Tua is that his team doesn't have a signature win yet, Alabama. And that's not his fault. That's the fault of Nick Saban and the AD in terms of how they schedule. But until he gets that signature win, he can't move ahead of the third spot. You'll see why in a second. But I think with that win, he will potentially move up. Um, especially when they meet a team like LSU or Georgia, real football teams. And if he's able to play the way that he has played against other teams, against those you know top-of-the-line type teams, then he can definitely move himself up. So people know who he is. He's got a championship under his belt. He's a really good quarterback, could be the number one pick coming out, but he's coming in at number three this week on the Heisman Watch. 
Up next, we have Joe Burrow, quarterback for LSU. Now, he's the hot name this year, the name that came out of nowhere since his uh, victory over number nine Texas at the time. He's got 1,520 passing yards on the season, 17 touchdowns, two picks, number three in QBR. And unlike Tua Tagovailoa, as I just mentioned, he's got that signature win against Texas. Um, so he has people very excited. For the first time in like 20 years, the LSU Tigers finally have an offense that people are tuning in to see. They've had athletes year in and year out. They've had good defenses, but they have not had an offense like this maybe since Jamarcus Russell. And even I don't think that offense that he quarterbacked was as good as this offense. So um, he's a very exciting name. He's a new kid on the block. So he's going to come in at number two this week. And number one doesn't change, and that is Jalen Hurts, quarterback from Oklahoma. Uh, this remains the same. They were idle last week. OU didn't play. But in three games, Jalen has 880 passing yards, nine touchdowns, zero picks. So you're like, okay, why is he number one when he's got about half the passing yards, a little bit over half the passing yards that Joe Burrow does, and Tua has more passing yards than him? It's because he's number one in QBR. That's the reason why. And what he's been doing, because they've been getting out to these big first-half leads, is he's essentially sitting the majority of the second halves. Had he been playing the full game, his numbers would be much better than Tua and Joe Burrow. So I also give him the edge because he's averaging 124 rushing yards with four rushing TDs. So if there was nothing that happened last week that was going to move any of these players ahead of him. If the Heisman ceremony was today, he would be your Heisman Trophy winner. So as long as he continues to perform this way and stay healthy for quarterback U, then he is going to take home the third straight Heisman Trophy for the University of Oklahoma. So to recap, honorable mention, Jonathan Taylor, number three, Tua Tagovailoa, number two, Joe Burrow, and number one, Jalen Hurts. And that is this week's Heisman Watch. So tune in this week to college football to see the latest and greatest players in the game. So up next, um, <laughs> you know, Jay's solo show on Monday is a very good uh, solo show as well. Jay, appreciate you holding it down uh, without me. He talked about Cam because over the weekend, the Carolina Panthers started Kyle Allen, uh, the number two quarterback on the team due to Cam Newton being out with a foot injury. They played the Arizona Cardinals, beat them 35 to 20, I believe. And in this game, Kyle Allen was electric throwing the ball. He made Greg Olson look like a Hall of Fame tight end. He was hitting receivers all over the place. Christian McCaffrey had an absurd game, and he looked like the kind of quarterback we have wanted to see quarterback this team because they have had players, wide receivers. Obviously, you've had McCaffrey for the last few years. They've had players who are really good wide receivers who just don't look good with Cam Newton because of his limitations passing the ball and because of his injury history. So on Jay's show, we talked about this game. And he said that he already kind of knew what I would be thinking in the sense of it's time to keep Cam on the bench even when he's healthy and start Kyle Allen, uh, make him the heir apparent, and see what he can do as the start of the rest of the season. So really with that, Jay, I'm going to double down on that. Not only do I think that they should bench Cam Newton, I think that they should bench him in, in a sense to well, give him time to heal because he stays hurt. So give him time to heal that foot injury, even if it takes him to Thanksgiving and bring him back do not start him and then find a way to trade him as soon as possible because i only needed to see this once I, I only needed to see kyle allen once under center for this team and it's not an overreaction because we're talking about a guy who was the number one quarterback prospect coming out of high school and he had a very strange 
college career in terms of coaches saying they're going to be there and not being there and having to transfer and ending up in the same program with uh, Kyler Murray, who also transferred, I think, like nine days before he transferred from Texas A&M, which was ironic given that he faced Kyler Murray in this game this past Sunday when they faced the Cardinals. So he's had a very weird college career, but the arm talent has always been there, and we saw that on full display against the Arizona Cardinals. So I've seen enough. I've seen everything I need to see. When you make Greg Olson look like he's 15 years younger, and when you make Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore look like the best receiving duo in the league, that's all I need to see. I don't care that the Arizona Cardinals don't have a top 10 defense. I'm tired of watching Cam Newton play quarterback for this team because he's always hurt or about to be hurt or he's inaccurate. Outside of last season under North Turner where he had the best uh, completion percentage of his career and outside of his MVP season, it has been extremely frustrating to watch Cam Newton play because he has never actualized the potential that we thought he had to be a thrower of the ball. And the reason why is because he's never going to actualize that. He is never going to be that kind of thrower of the ball who you can mention in the same class with an Aaron Rodgers or a Roethlisberger in terms of arm strength or obviously a Pat Mahomes. He's just not ever going to be that quarterback. So I'm tired of seeing this. I'm tired of seeing this team underperform. So while he still has some years left in him, while his trade value, it would be somewhat decent. And while there are always teams out there looking for quarterbacks, if you have this guy Kyle Allen and you can shape him, get him time, get him experience, and make him the heir apparent, then just go ahead and trade Cam Newton and get some draft picks or get some more defensive players for him in order to make the team better. Because you can get, you won't get a King's ransom for Cam Newton, but you can get plenty. So, yeah, Jay, I'm doubling down. I say get rid of Cam. Trade him. Let him heal up. Get rid of him and move forward with Kyle Allen. Because honestly, Cam Newton, he's not really been right since the Super Bowl, since he got embarrassed in the biggest game of his career and was so emotionally distraught he couldn't even handle the post-game interview, which I know was a tough situation, but still, you're a franchise quarterback, the face of a league. Just about every other quarterback in the league would have been able to handle that interview with class, and he looked like a hurt puppy. So I'm tired of Cam Newton. I don't hate him. I do enjoy watching him play from time to time, but – the majority of the time is just frustrating watching him play. So I say get rid of him. All right, let's take a quick break. And one thing that we love to always take a break to is the news. And now Jimmy has the news. Thank you, Wendy. Okay, so we finally know who are going to be performing at the Super Bowl in Miami on February the 2nd, 2020. And it's in part who we suspected, and that is none other than Jennifer Lopez and Shakira, who will be hitting the floor at Super Bowl 44. Or is it 54? I don't know. I don't care. On Thursday, the singers confirm that they're going to be headlining. And it's also Shakira's birthday. It's going to be at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Florida. Jennifer Lopez, uh, who's 50, and Shakira, who is four, who's 42, are telling everybody to get ready for 2, 2 of 20. Um, I really like this. The only thing I ask is don't give me a terrible halftime show. Like, I always go back to this from several years ago, Justin Timberlake. That's sort of like the epitome of what I mean by a bad Super Bowl show. I hated everything about his show. And what I think Jennifer Lopez and Shakira are going to do, because we know that they're both – you know, pretty decent singers, but they're both great dancers, is I think that their natural 
creative dancing talent is going to sort of take over and be center stage in this show because Jennifer Lopez has been a great dancer since she was a fly girl on the Living Color in the late 80s. That's like three decades ago. And Shakira's been a great dancer for almost two decades. So do what you do best. Put that center stage. So I think that it's going to be a good halftime performance. Like I said, it doesn't get much worse than Justin Timberlake's performance and several others. So I'm actually looking forward to this. And I think that they made the right decision in having these two headlines. Uh, also today, uh, talks continue in the NFL between the NFL and the Players Association on a new collective bargaining agreement. Um, and the most dramatic proposal on the table currently from the owners is an expanded regular season to 17 games that would eliminate preseason games in their entirety, sources tell ESPN and other outlets. However, the NFL Players Association is not interested in an expanded season, especially without a significant increase in its percentage of the revenue. Okay, players, listen to me. NFLPA, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Do not make these issues part of each other in terms of revenue sharing and the expanded season because for years everybody has been wanting to eliminate the preseason. And if the owners are willing to eliminate the preseason as awful as it is to watch on television and to where you really can't accomplish anything but get your best players hurt, and all you have to do is play one more regular season game, a game that some teams wish they had in order to expand their opportunity to make the playoffs like last year, I bet you the Pittsburgh Steelers wish they had a 17th game in order to try to win that to make it to the playoffs. So that's a fantastic deal, but don't make that contingent upon revenue sharing. Separate that. Say, okay, we're good on the expanded season to 17 games and no preseason. Okay, that's great. Now let's focus on the numbers when it comes to the revenue sharing and the increase in the projections that you're forecasting and how we can all work together to be a part of that in an equitable fashion. So I think Damari Smith who is still, I think, the executive director of the NFLPA, who I don't think is very good at his job at all. He's probably going to step in and screw this up for them, but players don't let him do that. Take this issue by issue. Don't try to make one thing a part of another that really doesn't have that much to do with it. So it looks like you could be on good footing if you start out with eliminating the preseason and just make that separate from the revenue sharing and you're off to a good start to where hopefully we can avoid a work stoppage since the current CBA expires after the 2020 season. And with that. And that was and Jimmy with Jimmy the news. The news. Uh oh, Wendy, why'd you do that? All right. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. Press the wrong button there. Okay, so up next, um, and I'm going to do this again. I'm kind of riffing off of Jay's solo show. And this is something that I probably would have also mentioned had I been on the Tuesday show in regards to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, so in this, Jay so rightfully talked about the model by which the Chiefs have been using in order to win games this season. Because if you watch their games, as he said, what they do in the first quarter is they basically, and Patrick Mahomes, you can kind of see him doing this, they survey what the other team is doing. They kind of poke and prod to try to figure out how they're playing them uh, on defense in terms of figuring out what they need to do on offense. So then by the second quarter, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have already figured it out, and that's what they destroy teams. So first quarter they survey. The second quarter they destroy teams and score multiple touchdowns and go up by anywhere from 15 to 20 points as they did against the Raiders and against the Ravens in that second quarter. Then in the third and fourth quarters, they coast. They, you know, shut down the playbook or the majority of the playbook 
And if the team kind of gets a little close, they might catch a field goal, the Chiefs, or they might score a late touchdown. But the game is never really threatened because of that huge second quarter that they've had. And part of what's brilliant about this in terms of the Chiefs sort of shutting down the playbook in the second half is it denies their next opponent um, one half less worth of game tape. So with most teams, you have a full game tape in order to evaluate them and prepare for them. But with the Chiefs, you really only get one quarter, and that's it. Because in the second the second half, they shut things down. So that's brilliant, and that makes it much more difficult for the team coming after that game to game plan against them. So that's essentially what they do, and I totally agree. They survey, then they destroy, then they coast. So when thinking about this, this sounded an awful lot like an NBA team in terms of the model that they use to win games. And it should be obvious who that is. And that is, or at least that was, the Golden State Warriors model. Because what the Golden State Warriors would do is in the first and second quarter, they would kind of survey. They would try a few things. They would analyze. They would poke and prize you to see how you react. And usually they would go into halftime with the other team feeling decent because either Golden State would be up by three to five points or they would be down by anywhere from three to five points. And then after halftime, when Steve Kerr and that team have had a chance to figure out what they're going to do based on the information they got in the first half, they destroy that team in the third quarter quickly and go up by 15 or 20 points. Then in the fourth quarter, you know, you coast. You sit down Draymond. You sit down Klay Thompson. You sit down Steph Curry. And back then they could do that because you also had Sean Livingston and Andre Iguodala, uh, two of the best players ever to come off the bench. And then they were able to go go into the end of the game with the 15 to 20 point lead. And that's what they would do. The exact same model. Survey, destroy and coast. So what this does by comparing them to the Kansas City Chiefs is it shows you just how dominant the Chiefs are, just how exciting they are and just how much how quickly they are able to master the team that is in front of them. So that's not something that we see very often. I've not seen a team like this Kansas City Chiefs team do it this way do it this spectacularly and be this scary and be this deadly. You know, and I've seen, I remember the greatest show on turf with the St. Louis Rams. I remember the, the Randy Moss Vikings. Uh, we've seen great offenses since then throughout the years come along, but there has not been a quarterback that I've ever seen like Patrick Mahomes, who oftentimes plays like he's an alien, like a metahuman, and the way in which this Kansas City Chiefs team wins. So be looking for that model. When you watch them play this Sunday against the Detroit Lions in Detroit, watch them use that exact same model, survey, destroy, and then coast. So speaking of that game, we're going to go into the Frozen Five, coming off of our second straight winning week. Our boy Jay put in work last week going 3-2. and two. I went 3-2 and two before that. So we're looking for our third straight winning week. I uh, got some picks that I feel very good about, very strongly about. So let's do this. Let's do this together. Let's get our third straight winning week. This is this week's Frozen Five NFL Week 4. Up first, we have the Vikings at the Bears. The Bears are a minus one and a half point favorite. And I'm going to take the Bears minus the one and a half. Um, I love the Bears at home anytime I can get them. So I get him at home this week, and all it's going to cost me against Kurt Cousins is a point and a half. This is one of those games when I see it that I can easily see that the number is way too low. Um, because I can't see Kurt Cousins winning in Chicago where he looked horrible last year. He looked horrible against them in Minnesota. Those Minnesota receivers are underperforming. I don't know what the problem is, but they do not look the same as they did last year. They look pedestrian. 
Now, I realize they have Dalvin Cook, but he's not going off against this Pro Bowl-level, Hall of Fame-level Bears defensive line led by Khalil the Killer Mack. So Minnesota's defense, is good. They're, they're good, but they're not good enough to overcome Kurt's Cousins' turnovers, giving the Bears a short field. So this is going to be an ugly game because, again, Mitchell Trubisky, he plays ugly games on offense, and that defense plays nasty games on defense. So the Bears are going to win this game by the score of 19-10 to 10 in an ugly one, but they easily cover that one and a half. Up next, the Buccaneers at the Rams. The Rams are a minus nine and a half point favorite. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take the Buccaneers plus the nine and a half. Again, this game is not so much about the teams as it is about focusing on the number. That nine and a half is way too high. Because with the Rams, if you take out the game where Drew Brees got hurt and they beat the Saints 27 to nine, the Rams won by three points against the Panthers in their first game. And in their last game, only won by seven points against the Browns and honestly collectively I think the Buccaneers have a better offense than both of those teams so I'll take that nine and a half particularly because the Bucks have been good against the run and the Rams they really the reason why they haven't been as spectacular as they were in seasons past is because that run game is just not fair Ty Gurley and his arthritic knee is just not ever going to be the running back that he has been when he was really the best running back in football the last two seasons. So they're going to have to throw a lot. And I think that Jameis, who found his connection again with Mike Evans last week, is going to be able to throw with him, and he's still going to be able to hit O.J. Howard and Chris Godwin when that defense focuses on Evans. Yes, I'm a little bit worried about Aaron Donald, but I think that if they can go West Coast more and get the ball out of Jameis' hands quicker, that that will help to neutralize the speed and the ferocity of Aaron Donald. So I like Jameis. He's confident. And under Bruce Arians, he's getting more and more confident as he plays more games under him. You can tell by his numbers. So the Rams are going to win this game, but I'm going to take the Bucks with the backdoor cover. Uh, the Rams are going to win 26-18, to 18, but the Bucks are going to cover the 9.5. Up next, we have the Raiders at the Colts. The Colts are a minus 6.5-point favorite, and I'm going to take the Colts minus 6.5. Um, I love the Colts at home, and I love that they have covered five straight games going back to last season's. The Raiders on defense, they just don't have it. They're giving up close to 30 points a game. And Jacoby Brissett, surprisingly, he's been a good quarterback. Um, he doesn't turn the ball over. He's got multiple touchdown passes in every game. And that offensive line for the Colts is still one of the best in football. And Marlon Mack, who's averaging over 100 rushing yards a game and has three rushing touchdowns, has been one of the better running backs in football. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about Ty Hilton's health. Um, but I think that even if he doesn't play in this game, Brissett is able to spread it around to so many receivers that they're going to make up for his production. And they should get Darius Leonard, the star linebacker, back out of the concussion protocol. So I love this game at 6.5. Again, it's about betting the number. I don't like him at 7, but I love him at 6.5 because that, that extra half point will kill you. So I'm going to take the Colts to win this game pretty comfortably at home, 33-22, covering the 6.5. Up next, just got done talking about um, the Kansas City Chiefs at the Detroit Lions. The Chiefs are a minus six-and-a-half-point favorite, and I'm going to take the Chiefs. Uh, the logic is pretty simple. All the Chiefs do is win, and all the Chiefs do is cover. They have covered six games in a row dating back to last season, and I think that six-and-a-half is way too low against Matthew Stafford. It should be somewhere between eight and ten is what I think. Uh, the Chiefs have, all, Chiefs have also, if you didn't know this, they've covered nine straight games. Well, they won nine straight games, excuse me, in September. So the formula stays the same against Detroit. Survey, destroy, and coast. And I don't think that this Detroit Lions offense is going to have enough to catch up to the Chiefs. Their run game is not very good. 
Um, they really don't have a receiver that put, instills fear in you. And they have a great tight end, rookie tight end TJ Hawkinson, but they don't know how to use him. So I'm going to take the Chiefs to cover this game pretty easily, 34-20. to 20. And lastly, uh, this is probably my biggest risk of the week. Started out talking about the Browns. We have the Browns at the Ravens. The Ravens are a minus six-and-a-half point favorite, and I'm going to take the Browns plus a six-and-a-half in this game because I love desperate teams who need a win coming off of tough losses on national TV as the Browns did. And the Browns know that they have to play better, which means that the effort is going to be there. And the Browns kind of have a bit of a blueprint that they can kind of use to hang with the Ravens if they study some of what the Chiefs were able to do last week in order to be effective against them on offense. So I like the Ravens at maybe four to six points, but I don't like them at six and above. And the Browns last year, keep this in mind, versus Baltimore, they beat them 12 to nine in the first game, and then they lost to them 26 to 24. So they play this team tough. These teams know each other very well. So I think it's going to be a competitive game, a hard-fought game. I think that the Ravens are going to win this game, but the the Browns are going to use this game to show that they belong and that they can live up to that hype if they continue to get better. So the Ravens are going to win this game 24 to 20, but the Browns are going to cover the six and a half. So to recap, we have the Bears minus one and a half. We have the Buccaneers plus nine and a half. We have the Colts minus six and a half. The Chiefs also minus six and a half and the Browns plus six and a half. And that is this week's Frozen Five. So get in there. Play those games on your sports betting outlets. And let's make this money together. So also in conjunction with that, as we do every week, uh, the OSG, our resident fantasy expert for DraftKings FanDuel and Season Long Fantasy. His report will be up on our Twitter page as well as the Half a Bird Show website. So take a look at that uh, this weekend as Jay and I do in order to set your lineups and continue to make money that way as well. So lastly, before I get out of here, um, as I mentioned in the intro, we had a star running back who had been holding out for a new contract finally report to camp and that player was none other than Melvin Gordon for the Los Angeles Chargers now I really like this I really like that he reported to the team today now in order to get credit for this season he needed to report I believe no later than October 29th in order to get credit for the season but he decided to come in early for whatever reason um the Chargers had pretty much, as an organization, planted their feet in the sand, said we're not going to pay you more than $10 million a year, which is actually double what he is set to make this season. And you can continue to hold out. You can find a trade. Um, we will accept it if we like it. But as of yet, there's been no trade or anything like that. So he's going to report. He's going to play for the team. And this is good for the NFL. No, scratch that. This is great for the NFL that, in a sense, he lost. This was good that Melvin Gordon lost this fight didn't get his contract, didn't get his trade, and had to tuck his tail between his legs and report to the team to play for the Chargers, who are a playoff team. Because what you want in the NFL, you want balance. Because we are now in the age of forced player mobility, as we've seen in the NBA. Players saying, I don't want to be here, trade me, um, I want to go to this team, etc. And that has filtered its way into the NFL, particularly with players like An um, Antonio Brown. So it's good because Zeke Elliott, for instance, who held out and got his money, he won. Antonio Brown, who forced his way out of Pittsburgh 
and out of Oakland and got to the Patriots, but things went awry because of his behavior, other behaviors off the field. He got what he wanted. So the players won that one. The players won AB, they won Zeke. But the owners have now won Melvin Gordon in terms of not capitulating to a player who's holding out for more money. Um, and it looks like they're winning with Jalen Ramsey as well, who has requested a trade. But the owner, Shad Khan, really likes him. And by all accounts, not only did he play last Thursday against the Titans, but he is set to play this Sunday against the Broncos. So it looks like the owners are going to win that by not giving into a player who is playing the forced player mobility card. So I like that balance in this era because I like that. You know, sometimes the players should win one and sometimes the owners should win one. It should go back and forth. No one side should dominate the other. So this is a great thing for the NFL. And I hope that, you know, more things occur like this because it's it's not going anywhere. Players forcing themselves out of town. So since it's not going anywhere, I like this to where you have some organizations who give into that. And then you have or some organizations who refuse to give in to that, who refuse to be punked and bullied by a player uh, such as the Pittsburgh Steelers and other classy organizations such as them. So that is it. I know, you know, usually people are against me when it comes to players versus owners. Um, most people that I talk to are all about the players, you know, give him what he wants. If he wants to get traded, trade him, give him every single cent that he is looking for. And I tend to be more on the side of the owners, and that frustrates people. But the reason why is because I tend to invest in the long game. I tend to see things from their perspective because it's not just about right now. It's not just about giving one player all the salary cap. It's about you know, it's about your brand. It's about being able to, to pay other really good players to make you championship competitive. It's about being known as an organization that cannot be strong-armed and cannot be bullied like the Pittsburgh Steelers because they didn't allow Le'Veon Bell to bully them. It's about four, five, six, seven years into the future. It's not about you know, a player getting their money right now. It is that to them, but I tend to think of how does this affect the team, not how does this just affect just this one player. Because players don't care about other players' money, and they really shouldn't. They don't care about the salary cap. They really shouldn't. It's not their job. But you got to be the one to care about that. So that's why I tend to side with owners, you know, a lot, most of the time, a lot of the time when it comes to these types of contract disputes. So everybody's against me. I don't care because it doesn't change my mind. I feel like I'm right. Um, So I'm going to continue to stick to that. We can't all think the same way. And I once had a philosophy professor tell me that usually the majority is always wrong. So I've seen that in sports betting, and I tend to see that on this issue as well. So we appreciate you listening. Half a Bird Sports Show live from Studio C, uh, being joined in the studio by Florence Nightingale. Glad to have her here. Uh, so to all, our, to all our loyal listeners, to Mike, Bob, Wendy, and the production team, to my co-host Jay, like I said, who did a great job holding the show down the last two shows. Appreciate that. Um, to everyone who suggests this show to other sports fanatics such as ourselves who enjoy deep, interesting, and thought-provoking sports analysis, we appreciate that as well. So hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on the Half a Bird website. So enjoy the NFL this weekend. We are about a month away from the NBA as multiple teams are reporting the training camp in the NBA this weekend. So that's around the corner. And with that, it's been the Half a Bird Sports Show. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. 
Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.